The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made, and by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. During today's episode, we'll talk about job finding and career management issues that might pose challenges for you. These include negotiating salary, asking for a raise, and dealing with realities related to age. Our goal is to share career coaching tactics that will equip you to achieve better results in your career pursuits. Our resident coach is Randy Place, author of Your One-Minute Job Finding Coach, How to Find a Job and Manage Your Career, while dealing with the hassles of it all. This book is an amalgamation of strategies from Randy's seven years as a radio talk show host and 23 years of hands-on coaching on career topics. Randy's experience in both live TV and radio as an announcer, this jockey and director offer a unique perspective into how to motivate people to listen and buy in to what you have to say. Randy, I'm excited to welcome Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for asking me, Hamda. Great to be here. I have to say I'm impressed by the long string of thank you comments that are posted by folks who visit your website, yourcareerservice.com, for career advice. Well, I'm glad you went on and visited it. Thank you. I'd love to warm us up by inviting you to share one of the one-minute job-finding tips that you offer in your book. All right. The book is designed. May I just explain it Absolutely. a little bit? The book is designed. Uh, I used to do a radio show called Your Career Service, where I delivered five one-minute uh, tips uh, on job finding. We took a tip for interviewing, a tip for networking, and it was 60 seconds. So we could explain anything in 60 seconds pertaining to a job-finding tactic. So I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to transfer that radio stuff into a book? So in my book, you can read a job-finding tactic in a minute. All it takes is a minute. So. Uh, here's an example. This one has to do about interviewing. You don't practice. Inter- you need to practice interviewing first. Go out and trip all over yourself. Their practice is to just go out and do it. In fact, you won't feel comfortable telling your story to prospective employers until you get at least a half dozen interviews under your belt. So why not practice interviewing for the jobs you might not want? This doesn't mean to run out and interview for a job that's the pits, because when you do that. Your insincerity shows through at the interview. But if a job is a little light in function or salary, don't let that stop you. It's good practice to do the interview anyhow. Maybe you can upgrade the job. Many job hunters before you have created better situations than the one advertised. Here's another reason it pays to take a job that can be upgraded. It's a good way to get your foot in the door. Remember, interview practice is like any other kind of practice. The more you do it, the better you get. 
So it sounds like there are a few tips built into that. One is interviews for jobs that you're not necessarily over the moon about. That's right. But if you really, it really turns you off, don't try to interview for it because your insincerity will come across. But if it's a little light in job and function, go out for the interview practice. The more in, you need at least uh, six interviews under your belt before you'll be comfortable telling your story and really believable to the interviewer. So it's always good to, to rehearse, uh, not necessarily with family and friends, although that's not a bad idea, but go out and interview as much as you can, even for jobs that you might not want, because maybe you can upgrade it. But the most important thing is you'll get the practice. Mm, and I love the term upgrade. That's right. Looking at opportunities that are in the ballpark of your talents and at the same time not necessarily what you ideally are striving for. I had a client by the name of Don. Uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, he came to me for a job when he was 60 and he said, I'll never find a job. I'm too old. Uh, so that's another story. But what happened was uh, he got a job uh, and he had 60 year, years old, replaced a 20 something year old person who wasn't up to the job. Don, because he was older in his 60s, uh, could do a better job. So HR upgraded the job and salary and made him a vice president. And he took over a lower level job that they actually upgraded for him. So that's an example about how a job and salary can be upgraded if they like you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've seen that happen many times with some of the clients that I've worked with who went to interview and there was a great compatibility with the environment. Good. Maybe not as much with the role. Yeah. I had one client who actually interviewed at the same company for three different jobs. Mm -hmm. The first two jobs didn't really work out because she, it wasn't a precise fit. But they liked her so much that they called her when they had another opportunity, and that worked out really well. That's good. So she networked for the job while interviewing. Exactly. They kept her in mind for the next go-around. Right. So it sounds like the idea is to look at these opportunities as 3D opportunities. That's right. That there's one door that you can walk through, and there may be others behind it. That's right. So if you're at an interview and uh, they don't like you or you don't like the job, let's say you're at an interview and you don't like the job or they tell you, you know, I, I don't think you'd be good for the job. What you can do is say, is there anyone else at this company you think I should be talking to? Let's say you're interviewing for a job that's really below your salary level and you don't want to do it. So try to network from there. Say, you know, I'd love to work for this company, even though I'm not a good fit for this job. Who else do you think I should be talking to in this company? Mm -hmm. That's an excellent point. Sometimes we hesitate to be really honest. That's right. Uh, you have to be brutally honest uh, when you're searching for a job. Uh, it doesn't mean that uh, you, uh, the interview session is a confessional, but if you tell a lie or exaggerate, they're going to find out in this day and age. There was a man that I had when I was with uh, J.P. Morgan Chase in their outplacement department. I was a career counselor there. And he got a job at, at uh, then it was called Chemical Bank. But his friend was sitting on the sidelines for months. He couldn't find a job. So he had him interview at Chemical, and they hired him. About a week later, they called him in and fired him. You know why? Because he lied on his application about his salary. He said he earned $1,000 more at his past job. And uh, so they found out about it and let him go because uh, you might say, what's $1,000? Well, a company wants to hire you uh, with what you've been used to making. And that's what happened to him. So it's good to be honest. Mm. 
it also seems that the, one of the points you're bringing up, in a sense, is to look at the interview as an exploratory experience. Yes, uh, it is exploratory, uh, uh, because while you're interviewing, you have to explore. You're really a consultant. You're trying to find out what the needs of the interviewer are. What does he or she want for her department? And uh, then you're exploring to see if you have what it takes uh, to make a pitch for the job. And if you don't have what it takes, and if you don't want to do the job, as I mentioned before, you should be the first to break off the conversation and say, listen, I don't think I'm a good fit for the job, but who else do you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And when I was thinking exploratory, I would also add that in a sense, when we're going on an interview, oftentimes we're thinking to ourselves, we're pitching ourselves for this specific opportunity. That's right. And my standpoint is that it's important to prepare to pitch yourself for that opportunity and at the same time still be open beyond that. That's right. So what's the first thing you should do uh, before you go out on that interview? Get a job description. Mm -hmm. You ask for a job description and if they say, well, what do you want that for? Say, well, I want to put my best foot forward for this job. And you get the job description from the HR person who is telling you to come over for the interview or for the uh, executive recruiter. And you just ask, for the job description. Then when you have that in your hand, you can read it, study it, and take it home and see what you match. Interviewing is all about matching, matching your skills and abilities to what the person is looking for. And that job description is what they're looking for. So if you have that, you'll be able to tell whether or not you can help them. And if you can, go for it. Randy, on the topic of interviewing, given that you receive a lot of comments on your website, from those who are exploring new opportunities and all the experience that you had on the air and also coaching individuals, what would you say some, one of the biggest challenges of interviewing is? One of the biggest challenges. First, may I give the website in case anybody would like to go on it? Absolutely. It's www.yourcareerservice.com. Now, the greatest challenge of interviewing. There are many challenges, uh, but the biggest challenge probably is to know your stuff. Uh, to be prepared. And that really isn't a challenge. The challenge depends on the person. Some people are timid, so they have to work on one thing. Uh, other people don't want to brag, so I have to tell them, well, if you've done it, it ain't bragging, as somebody once said. So the challenge depends on the person. If you'd like to give an example or ask about a particular personality type, we could go further with this. Well, I noticed on www.yourcareerservice.com, your site, that you included a three-part post about the interview question, tell me about yourself. That's right. Uh, tell me about yourself. Now I know what you're getting at. That could be one of the, the big challenges. These are the mother of all interviewing questions. Tell me about yourself. Tell me your strengths and weaknesses. Why do you want to work for this company? Why should we hire you? So you want to discuss the tell me about yourself? Absolutely. Well, we don't really want you to tell them about yourself. That would take too long. So there are different techniques that are out there today. One is the two-minute pitch. Don't do it. Nobody wants to hear you ramble on for two minutes. Uh, the other is called the elevator pitch. Forget about it because you have to memorize a pitch. I am. I can do. I was there. And uh, 
people uh, just don't want to hear all that. If you'll notice on television, everything is brevity today. So you want to be very brief. So on the tell me about yourself, of course you don't say I was born in 1953. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear you tell about your achievements, not about you, but your achievements. So I would like to model for your listeners a way to do it. I call this the positioned approach. So go ahead and ask me to tell me about myself, and I'll talk you through it. Randy, tell me about yourself. Well, Hamda, I've had experience in three areas you might be interested in. Career counseling, selling, and seminar leadership. Which area would you like me to talk about first? Well, since the job is very much focused on leading seminars, I'd love to hear more about that. All right. What I've done is I modeled three things. You find out what the job is about because you have a... Uh, a job description. And even if you don't, at the beginning of the interview, you can ask the person what the job is about. So you take three things about that job that you know the interviewer would die for. And you put those three things on a three by five card. What job would you like to use as an example for this? Maybe what you're doing now or a job you've had. Name a job and let's figure out the three things that somebody interviewing you would really want. How about a project manager position? Project manager. Okay, what are the three things that a project manager, that they would die to have if you were going for a project manager position? What are the three skills that would really stand out there? Absolutely organization and mm -hmm. management. All right. Planning and organization. Mm -hmm. It may also include using particular technologies for, right. so for you project have, management. You have organization, technologies, and what else? Of course, an important point is to make sure that people get things done. Technology, management, and what would you call getting things done? Communication, teamwork, interpersonal skills. All right. So what you do now is take three three-by-five cards. And on e top of each card, you write one of those skills. So on the first card, you're going to write what? We'll have communication and team management. All right. On the second card, you're going to have? Use of project management technologies. And on the third card? Planning and organization. All right. So let's take the third card. For each of the cards you want to write two one-liners, and each one-liner will represent a story of how you use that skill. Which skill are we talking about now? Planning and organization. Planning and organization. How you use planning and organization to the highest level of your ability. So you rehearse those two stories. So can you think of one story that you might tell for that? Well... In a PAR format, the problem, the action you took, and the result. One of the issues that I faced working at a hospital had to do with really building a sense of community and collaboration in the department, since there was also a lot of transition happening in that area. So the idea that I came up with is was to host an event for the entire department. And that required all of the departmental members to collaborate in some way in terms of organizing all of the logistics, ensuring that people showed up, and it was really uh, to enhance the connection, not just within the department, but also between the department and other areas of the hospital. So this was a project. And the result? The result was that not only did we have the departmental members show up, we had over 200 people at the event, and the entire leadership of the hospital showed up as well. So we had the CEO show up, we had other members of the top leadership team, and it turned out to be a really inspirational experience. We had the chair of the department make comments. It was his one-year anniversary. 
which was really exciting. We surprised him also with a birthday cake and the entire department really coming together for him. And I think that was a great boost. And it was also a great boost to hear comments from the CEO. So I, and people talked about it for a long time afterwards and suggested that this is something that we should do consistently. Now, you notice I paused a little bit. So after you tell your story, the first story, then you go into the next story. You tell two stories under that category. And then you pause, as you did. Don't worry about a couple of seconds of dead air when you're interviewing. That's what you should not worry about. So then the pause is for they might want to ask you a question about what you've just talked about. Now, let's say they just go, uh-huh, and they don't ask a question. You would then say, would you like me to go on to the next category? Mm -hmm. So just to wrap this up, do I have time to wrap it up? Sure. Tell me about yourself. You say, well, Hemda, I've had experience in three areas you might be interested in. Da-da, da-da, and da-da. Which area would you like me to talk about first? The person selects an area. You give two stories and the result of how you did a job, problem, action you took, and the result and uh, go on with the interview like that, then it's a two-way street instead of a one-way brain dump. Mm, phenomenal. Thanks for that fabulous demo and that wonderful summary. We're going to go to a brief commercial while you think through your response to the Tell Me About Yourself. When we return, Randy will extend the conversation to talking about one topic that's very sensitive for interviewers, salary negotiation. We'll be right back. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Imagine you hired a designer to redo your kitchen. Working with an expert to meet your needs was such a high. You're enjoying the new feature so much that you're waking up early to write the book that's been in your head for five years. The raised Caesar stone countertop and cushioned back stool are your writer's desk. With this comes the realization that all of the rooms in your home need to be redone to match the level of your kitchen. This scenario demonstrates my approach to executive and lifestyle coaching. It involves understanding what compatibility means to you at different times in relationships, career, nutrition, and other quality of life areas. It's also about elevating your game personally and professionally. Given my multidisciplinary expertise, we can address a range of needs that are critical to your fulfillment and success. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, Managing Director of Life and Career Choices, a global executive coaching and concierge practice. Learn more about my services and contact me through lifeandcareerchoices.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. We're back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, speaking with author and career expert Randy Place. 
So, Randy, you offered an excellent demo for the critical Tell Me About Yourself interview scenario, which is an important stepping stone for another sensitive issue when it comes to interviewing and job finding, salary negotiation. Always an interesting thing. Uh, we used to have a supervisor uh, that supervised all of the career counselors, and his name uh, is Alan Pickman. And Alan said that he wished somebody would come along and do for salary what Freud did for sex. People were afraid to talk about sex before Freud. Today, people don't want to talk about money. They don't want to talk about salary. Uh, that's maybe the biggest challenge or one of the biggest challenges, even more than tell me about yourself, when it comes to uh, trying to find a job. People are afraid to talk about salary, afraid to ask for a raise. Mm -hmm. So what tips and tactics can we offer around that? Well, it depends. If you're interviewing for a job and someone asks uh, what you want to make, uh, when you negotiate for salary, remember when you interview, in today's day and age, you want to get a, a raise. You want to get more money than the job you left. Now, people are afraid to go for this because they want to just grab the job in today's job market. But the salary you get is going to reverberate for the rest of your career at that company. I mean, $80,000 isn't going to go a heck of a lot higher. So what you want to do is be, if you're used to making, uh, throw out a figure, let's, let's talk about a job applicant used to making what? Let's say $100,000. $100,000. So you want to get more than $100,000. So let's say you're interviewing for a job and they're always going to ask, what do you make? How much, what are you looking for? How much money do you make? And remember this, if you give your salary first, you lose, because why should a company pay you any more than what you've been used to making? If you can get their salary first, what they're willing to pay, you win, because then you have a chance to negotiate. But if you, don't, if you give your salary first, uh, you're, you don't have a chance to negotiate. Mm. Randy, I've seen recruiters who really are screening candidates to ensure that they're in the ballpark of the salary range for the company. And also employers get a little bit frustrated when they ask the question about what you're looking to make and the candidate doesn't answer directly. Right. When it comes to headhunters and employment agencies, uh, when they ask what you made, you have to tell them what you made. You have to be upfront with them. Say, I made 100000 but I want more. That's how you handle that. But there are ways to, to uh, talk about that salary uh, during the interview. And let's demonstrate that now. Why don't we make believe Randy is interviewing Hemda? I'm the $100,000 guy. I want to get 120. dollars So you ask me during the course of the interview uh, how much money I want. Mm -hmm. So, Randy, we're looking at for this project management position. I'm curious to know what salary you're, you're aspiring to. Well, Hemda, if it's okay with you, what I'd like to do is defer conversation about money until we've had a chance to talk more about the job and uh, what, it, what, what it's about, then I'm sure we can come to an agreement within the fair range you have in mind. Now, the reason we're doing this statement is because you're educating them to the fact that you want to negotiate. So the statement you can make, how, how much are you making at the beginning of an interview or even during the interview, remembering if you give that, you really lose, you can say, Hemda, let's face it, I know you're not about to hire me on the basis of this first interview. So what I would like to do is postpone conversation about money until we both had a chance to talk more about the job and to see if I'm right for it. Then I'm sure we can come to a fair agreement as to salary. Mm -hmm. 
And again, Hemda, the philosophy of this is the more you get to talk about yourself, the higher in value you become to the person. Mm -hmm. So Randy, I can appreciate your perspective that the fit is really a, a critical component. And of course, we wouldn't want to hire someone who we didn't see as an excellent fit for the role and for the environment. At the same time, we're on a very short timeline to hire for this position. And I just want to make sure before we invest further time that at least we're working in the ballpark of what it is that our budget reflects. Of course. Well, what do you pay? Well, the range for this position is between ninety and one hundred and twenty thousand. That that's in the ballpark. Now, you see what we did. Uh, you when you pushed back on me, I came back at you and I said, well, "What do you pay?" Now there is many steps to this. There's about five steps that I teach my job finding clients, and you'll find some of the steps in my book, Your One Minute Job Finding Coach. Um, and if it's not to your satisfaction, call him and we'll, we'll do this again. But that's one of the ways you can do it. The more you talk about your, when you come in at an interview, uh, you're the $100,000 person. Uh, what you want to do also, I coached one of my clients, uh, he, he was interviewing for a $120,000 job. As a matter of fact, he was making 100000 He was a trader. And I said to him, what you want to tell these people, if they say, what is your minimum? which they will say sometime, say, you know, Hemda, I'm not interested in minimums. I'm interested in maximums, maximum salary and maximum use of my skills. So he went and interviewed a Japanese bank. It was an American boss there, but he was interviewing the bank and they liked him and they offered him a hundred, they offered him a hundred thousand. And he said, look, he said, they said, what is the minimum you'll take? And he said, look, uh, just what I said, I'm not interested in minimums, I'm interested in maximums, maximum salary and maximum use of my ability. And the hiring manager said, that's fair. And he also said the job was advertised for 120000 and I think it's only fair that I get it. So another tip is to find out what the job pays before you interview. Either find out from the uh, recruiter or the person at the company or go online and uh, there are uh, sites out there that will do that for you. And if you know somebody that works for the company, ask them what that particular job pays. Mm -hmm. It's always good to, to be armed with that. I just want to put out that salary.com is one of those very frequently used sites that allows you to search for positions by zip code. So you That's can right. really localize your search. That's right. That's good. I didn't know that. That's very good. Um, so Randy, listening to you, I love what you have to say because it certainly reflects a very positive perspective. And it also reflects a lot of confidence. So my question is, other than practicing this to really build a sense of comfort with articulating something like you suggested, the question that I would have is, how can an individual build to a place of confidence to be able to articulate that? He will build to a place of confidence, which, as I said before, in two ways. First of all, to be bluntly honest, even though you rehearse and rehearse, you need to go on at least six interviews, get six interviews under your belt uh, before you'll feel comfortable enough to tell your story. That's confidence builder number one. The other confidence builder is to practice, practice, practice. You, I give these techniques in my book and you can read them over and rehearse and rehearse. When you're rehearsed, you're going to do very well. I want to tell you a story. I used to be a television announcer. And uh, my main job was voiceover announcing, but there was going to be some responsibility to go on camera. So when I was new there, I was in my uh, early 20s. It was all live television. 
they put me on the floor, put a camera there, and I had to do a public service announcement about don't pass a stop school bus from either direction. Mm -hmm. It was longer than that. But I memorized it, and I went out there, and I, I had palpitations. I had uh, heavy breathing. Uh, it didn't show on the air, but I was very nervous. So one day the boss came, and I did that once a week. They had me do that. So he came from a film-buying trip in New York, and Gordon Alderman said to me, Well, Randy, how's it going? And I said, Gordon, I love the voiceover announcing, but uh, doing the uh, studio part, going on camera, I get very uptight. And he said, oh, don't, don't be foolish. I said, no, Gordon. I said, I have to go on every day with that. I want to do it every morning so I can get good. And I went on every morning and I got good. And when I came to New York to interview for a job, I was very, very bad. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, was, I had the same heart palpitations as I did on camera because I was used to reading scripts and doing prepared work. It never occurred to me that you had to have another skill set for interviewing. But I knew from that experience, after giving a very bad interview and being very stressed during that interview, that if I went on a lot of interviews, even for the little jobs that I didn't want, I would get better and better. And that's what happened. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal. And it also brings to mind, we have easy access to cameras, to videos through our phones. An excellent point. And having that opportunity, it seems to me, at least I've received the feedback and I can relate and appreciate. Some people just don't like to watch themselves on camera. Some people don't like to listen to themselves. Others love it. So if you're not feeling as comfortable with hearing yourself, that seems like also a wonderful confidence building experience to really get accustomed to hearing your voice, to get accustomed to seeing yourself. And I would guess that that would really be an excellent boost for these types of conversations and interviews. You hit the nail on the head. When uh, I made a living from uh, announcing, and when I was a new announcer in Syracuse, I didn't like the sound of my voice. So what a job hunter should do is talk parts of the interview into a telephone that goes to your answering service, and then you can listen to it anytime during the day or use the recording device on your, uh, on your iPhone or your smartphone. Randy, there are three parts to your book. We have job finding, we have managing your career, and the third part is dealing with the hassles of it all. So moving into the managing your career on a topic related to salary negotiation, asking for a raise, I'd love to hear some of the tactics that you recommend for asking for a raise. Asking for a raise. If you want a raise, you have to deserve it. You have to have earned it. So what I recommend everybody do is what I started doing after I paid to work with a career counselor. I had career counseling at a very early age because of my problem with interviewing. I was taught, and I did, keep a success book. It was a regular pad, sometime a three-ring binder, and whenever I did anything at work that was successful, I wrote it down in a PAR format, problem, action I took, and the result. And so you'll have pages of that when it comes to your annual review or when you're ready to go in and ask for a raise. So a good time is either on your birthday or at your annual review. And you can go in and say, I have a birthday coming up. I just wanted to show you something. And uh, I wanted to ask you for more money, but I want you to know how much I've deserved it. And then you take out your book and you read the stories, what you did and the result. And if it's an, for an annual review, you go into your annual review with your book. And you tell your stories. Say, you know, I'd like to think I've done a good job. 
Uh, I'm not sure I did. I hope you think so. But here are some things that I've done uh, that I'm quite proud of. And then you read the stories. Three months ago, I was cleaning out the closet in my home and I found such a three ring binder. Uh, when I was with NBC, I actually did it. And it was a story where a product, a food product, didn't want to buy time on KNBR in San Francisco. So I lost the sale. So I got on the phone and I called the sales manager. I had him go see the warehouse. Uh, I called on the client in New York. We did all kinds of things. And the time buyer called me up and said, Randy, we're giving you part of the order, putting money on this station, and we want you to know it's because of your salesmanship. I felt so good reading that, even many, many years later. So keep a success book of uh, things that you do as you go along. You made a good sale. You created a new um, system. Uh, write down what the situation was, what you did about it, and the result. And use that to get a raise because it shows that you deserved it. Randy, also bringing out the example of sales, it sounds like in terms of the result, you essentially helped to increase the bottom line. That's right. And so in thinking through the results, another recommendation we've given is to think about how you impacted the bottom line. And some of us actually, until we go through that process of really thinking it through, you might say that you impacted it indirectly by improving service to customers and customers were more pleased. But then if you think further, you'll take a look at whether or not those customers actually referred other customers what kind of repeat business was generated. Sometimes it can be a little bit hard to quantify, but going as far as you can along those lines seems like Excellent. an important basis for getting more money. Why, Hemda, I wish I had talked to you before I wrote my book. <laughs> yes, quantify it whenever possible. Yes. And one thing I wanted to add as well is that there are certain positions that obviously very directly impact the bottom line, like sales positions. And for those positions that may not seem to have as much of a direct impact on the bottom line, the question is how you can further advance in your career and your, and your own salary when you're in those types of opportunities. Well, there's always a result. For example, if you work on the floor of a bank and you uh, designed a uh, way to queue up the people, uh, you can, your bottom line would be I designed uh, a rope thing, <laughs> excuse the word thing, uh, that helped the people gain better access without pushing and shoving to the teller window, and it increased uh, the, the security uh, within the bank. There's always a result. If I hand you this glass of water, I'm going to say, here, him to have this water, and the result was you quenched your thirst and got rid of that little tickle in your throat and were able to continue with the program. For anything we do, there's a result, mm -hmm. if you think about it. Mm -hmm. And some people also just give very generously. They give their all to something without necessarily stepping back and doing the analysis of the impact that they have. All the more reason for keeping that success book. Every time you've done something, think about what you did and the result. I've had people say, well, you know, I know it was good and my boss knew it was good, uh, but you have to put it down. Mm -hmm. I'd also like to reflect a little bit on related to this conversation the connection between getting a raise and promotion. And essentially, I think what you touched on also, Randy, is that there are ways to expand your current position. So essentially, a manager might look at what you're doing and say, well, based on what you're doing and your role, this is really the salary that we're able to offer. And you can point out that if you've actually on the job expanded that role, 
to include engaging other talents to meet needs that were not previously met within the work environment, that there could also be a basis really for increasing your salary because of that. That's right. You can say the job description changed since I made those uh, improvements. So it's a new job and it's worth more money. Mm -hmm. And that seems like also another foundation really for being promoted to a higher level position. If you're essentially, we think of promotion as a continuum. We're doing our current job and then at the same time we're working toward a job that we might aspire to. So if you're working toward, let's say, taking on a project management or a management position, then you might be looking to add some of the responsibilities that are related to those roles. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you would add around the topic of getting a raise? Well, that would be getting a raise, and then there's salary negotiations. Uh, we already discussed what if they offer you, ask for your salary, try not to give it. But let's say you're the one. How much time do we have in this segment before? About 30 seconds. About 30 seconds. Well, why don't we sing a little song because I don't think I can get into it in 30 seconds. But when we get back, I'd like to talk about the three legs of interviewing and how that relates to uh, handling an offer. Excellent. So we're going to go to a brief commercial. Stay with us to hear more about the three legs of interviewing. We'll be right back. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Imagine you hired a designer to redo your kitchen. Working with an expert to meet your needs was such a high. You're enjoying the new feature so much that you're waking up early to write the book that's been in your head for five years. The raised Caesar stone countertop and cushioned back stool are your writer's desk. With this comes the realization that all of the rooms in your home need to be redone to match the level of your kitchen. This scenario demonstrates my approach to executive and lifestyle coaching. It involves understanding what compatibility means to you at different times in relationships, career, nutrition, and other quality of life areas. It's also about elevating your game personally and professionally. Given my multidisciplinary expertise, we can address a range of needs that are critical to your fulfillment and success. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, Managing Director of Life and Career Choices, a global executive coaching and concierge practice. Learn more about my services and contact me through lifeandcareerchoices.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi with author and career expert Randy Place. We talked about negotiating salary when you're interviewing for a new position. We also talked about asking for a raise in your current position. Randy left off with 
introducing the three legs of interviewing that set the stage once you receive a job offer for you to really be able to optimize the salary offer. Randy, I'd love to hear more about that. All right. Well, the three legs uh, lead up to the salary offer. But when it comes to interviewing, remember, there are three legs to an interview. And you have to know which leg you stand on. Now, here, Hem, to picture in your mind a one-legged bar stool. Will that stand on the ground? Unlikely. Let's say there's a two-legged bar stool. Will that stand? I'm imagining it tipping over. It would tip over. How about a three-legged bar stool? That seems like a more solid option. All right. This is a memory device I use. Think of the three-legged bar stool. And let's talk about the different legs. The, uh, uh, this has to do with interviewing, three legs of interviewing. The first leg of your interview could be with human resources. It could also come later in the series of interviews, but usually we might start there. So when you interview with HR, they're interested in screening you out, not in. They want to get a group of people that they can send down to the hiring manager. So they, they're not your friend. They, want, they don't want to really they want to get rid of you if they can, but if you're good enough, they'll include you in. So you just fasten your seatbelt and you answer their questions. You do the best you can. When it comes to the first leg of the interview, Hemda, their top dog, your underdog. The second leg of the interview is with the hiring managers, one or more. If they like you, they'll send you to the hiring manager. Now, this is a great part of the interviewing process because while they're still top dog and you're underdog, you can begin to take some control of the interview by using the various techniques we've talked about today and that are in my book. Because the hiring manager really seldom do they know how to interview. They haven't been taught how to interview. They might be as uncomfortable as you are, and they'd rather be doing anything in the world except interviewing you. So you can begin to take control. Now, if you make it with a hiring manager or hiring managers, you're at the third leg of the interview if you're lucky. That is the offer interview. Now, with the hiring manager and the HR, remember, they're top dog, you're underdog. With the HR, which is the first leg, you have no control. So you fasten the seatbelt, answer the questions with a smile, try to get through to the hiring managers where you now can have control. They're still top dog, you're still underdog, but you can take control because they really don't like to un interview. So you can show them how. You can really direct it much of the time. The third leg of the interview is called the offer interview. If they like you, you'll get to be the person that goes to an offer interview. Now here, your top dog, they are underdog because they've spent a lot of time and money on your candidacy and they're gonna make you an offer and they want you for the job. Here is where the negotiating begins. So why don't you offer me, uh, again, I'm used to making 100,000, I'd really like to make 120. There are a couple of techniques you might find useful. Uh, I'll do as many as I can today. Uh, so why don't you ask me, we're at the offer interview, why don't you offer me uh, some money? So are we assuming in this situation that the topic of money hasn't come up? Oh, well, it might have come up. And if it comes up and they know your salary, this won't work. So you don't do it. It's only if they don't know what your salary is, they're open, but they're making you an offer. Mm -hmm. Randy, we're so impressed by you as a candidate for this project management role. All of the people who met with you spoke so highly of you. And we think that you'd be a wonderful fit for the job and a great asset for our environment here. Well, thank you, Hemda. I'm really thrilled to offer you the position. Wow. And we're offering it at a salary of 100000 100000 Well, Hemda, I appreciate the offer very much. 
as I'm sure you know, but from what you've told me about the job and what we've discussed on what I can do in the job, 100000 seems to be a bit light. But look, there's only $20,000 difference here. Uh, I'm sure we can compromise. Mm-hmm. What thoughts do you have in terms of where you're willing to go around the salary? You mean, well, what are, what are some of the benefits? You mean, what am I willing to give up or... Uh, well, what salary... We're talking about, so you mentioned that what you're, you're seeking to get is 120000 Did I get that right? Right. Well, uh, how about it? Can you offer me 120000 You know, the cap for the position is one hundred and ten. It's 110. Well, I know that uh, you, you'd like to get me for as little money as possible. Uh, every job has a salary range. Uh, you have a cap of 110, but I know it goes up to 120. You would like to, to, to I would like to come in at the higher end of the range, uh, but I would like to do the fair thing. Perhaps we could meet in the middle between 100 and uh, 120, which, which is 110, uh, which is reasonable. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. Thank you. It's nice mm-hmm. to be aboard. Now, mm-hmm. let, let's say it wasn't 110, uh, but they, they offered you 110, but there was no cap on it. You, you would say, uh, uh, well, let's say they only offered you 100, and they wouldn't go above that. Maybe, okay, 103. Mm-hmm. Say, well, uh, uh, I know you want to get me for as little as possible. It makes sense from your point of view. I'd like to make as much as possible. Uh, why don't we meet in the middle? I'm sure we could compromise. Then maybe you could get your 110 that way. I have to say, listening, though, to the comment, I know you'd like to get me for as little as possible. Uh, that's the theory of uh, a job. Uh, a, a job. Uh, every job has a salary range. The but, company wants to get you at the lower end of the range. It makes good sense for them, right? Well, let's say my perspective is I believe... We believe in, in paying our employees because we want to retain really good people. And at the same time, we're also dealing with our current budget. So when I hear back, I'd like to, I know you'd like to get me for as little as possible. It almost sounds as though I'm trying to nickel and dime you, or that's your experience, I'm trying to nickel and dime you. Well, maybe it's, it's the way you say it, but companies usually have a salary range and they would like to bring people in at the lower end of the range. Uh, do you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, yes, of course, they're looking to see at what point in the negotiation um, you know, you're willing to say yes. And at the same time, I also think that their environments um, are really focused on gen- revenue generation. They're doing really well with revenue generation. And they would like to pay people enough to bring on good people and to keep good people. Well, if that's the case, if you're lucky enough to be interviewed by one of those companies, you don't need any techniques. But I'm talking about the average run-of-the-mill interview where there is a salary range and they will try to get you in at the lower end of the range. Your job is to, generally Mm -hmm. speaking, is to get in at the higher end Mm -hmm. of the range. And it's it's always helpful to have broad perspectives on this topic. So I appreciate this, Randy. So one thing, like I might have said, would have been... Well, I know that our cap for the position is 110, and we really value you as a candidate and would really like to bring you on. I appreciate that you're interested in 120 and you're willing to do 115. So let me go back and talk to the folks on my team and we'll see what we can do. Hemda, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Excellent. Thank you for that. Thank you. And what, what came to mind too as you were speaking is, of course, as a candidate to reinforce 
your interest in the position and the organization. That's right. And you also pointed out that there was really not a far distance to travel in terms of the negotiation process. That's right. For for $20,000, there's not much you can do with $20,000 as far as purchasing something. Uh, You can't hire anybody for $20,000, so you're offering to split that. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say the person says, I'm going to go back and I'm going to see what I can do. You thank them and you go home. And uh, if you do a job search correctly, that means having many balls up in the air, having networked successfully, uh, you're going to get several offers at once. So if somebody is thinking it over, you go back, back to your office, back to your desk, and find out where you are with some of the other hot prospects. And you call them up and you say, listen, you're considering me for a job. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sitting now on a possible offer. How soon can you make up your mind as to my candidacy? Because I'm coming to a close on something. I'd rather work for your company. Uh, can you make me an offer sooner? So you do that. If they really like you at company A, while company B is thinking it over, and they make you a better offer, say, thank you, let me think about that. Then you go back to company B and say, listen, while you're thinking it over, I want you to know I got a a better offer from company A. And you play them like that. I've done that so many times with clients. Mm -hmm. Uh, If they really want you, they're going to come up, they're going to beat their decision-making time and say, okay, well, we were going to decide this in three weeks, but we'll make you the offer we want you. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So there's really a broad perspective on the different pieces of the equation that connect. Right. The other piece that comes to mind also is the follow-up that you sent to the organization, whereby you can really reinforce what the reasons would be that they would maybe go a little bit further with you on the salary in terms of how you stand out as a candidate and you're fit for the position, the additional value you bring, your your commitments. You can make your case while they're thinking it over. Here's why. Thank you for considering to bring me aboard for 115. Here's some additional things that we didn't discuss that would justify the expenditure. And then you give some more PARs, problem, action you took, and the result. It's also called an SIR, situation, input, and the result. You mentioned something very important, Hemda. It's called follow-up. And jobs are often won by follow-up. Do you think that most job candidates send a follow-up letter after every interview? I would hope that that's the case, for, especially for positions that you're very much interested in. And then regardless, just as a professional protocol, because you never know when you're going to encounter someone again. Right. Uh, Most job candidates do not write a follow-up letter. Or if they do, they write up a useless letter like, uh, Dear uh, Amy, thanks so much for the interview. You made me feel so comfortable. And uh, it's the kind of job I would consider uh, accepting. Here you're down on your luck. You're out of a job and you're going to consider accepting. You want to write a gutsy follow-up letter. And uh, let me give you kind of an outline for it. Fabulous. You say, uh, Dear Hemda, thank you so much for... uh, Uh, the interview for the job of blah, blah, blah. From what you told me and from what I already know about the job, it would be the kind of job I know I can do very well or the kind of job I know I can sink my teeth into. That's paragraph one. Paragraph two, what you do after an interview is as soon as the interview is over, you run back to the, walk back to the waiting room and take notes, copious notes. Who said what? What went well? What didn't go well? and your plans for follow-up. Because there's always three interviews you give. The interview you rehearsed, the interview you gave, and the, oh geez, the interview I wished I had given. 
That goes into a follow-up letter. Bernard Haldane, who was the granddaddy of career counseling techniques, was once asked at a conference, what's the most important part of the interview? You know what he answered? The follow-up letter. Because when I'm talking to you, we're not paying attention uh, all the time. My mind wanders, your mind wanders. But when you give somebody something to read, you've really got them. How much time do we have? We have a few minutes. Have a few minutes. So paragraph one is you thank them for the interview, as I've already said. I hope, folks, you're taking notes. Uh, the next paragraph is everything that went well. Uh, you're looking for this, as we discussed. I can do this. You want this. I can do this. This uh, uh, follow-up letter can be quite a few pages, so don't feel you have to cram everything on one page. That's one of the job search uh, uh, bad things people tell you to do. So the se second paragraph is about that, what you've done in the results that you were talking about. Uh, the third paragraph is anything that didn't go well. Uh, you say that you're looking for somebody with experience in such and such a field, although I don't have that experience. I uh, plan to take a course in it, and, and uh, I can get up to speed real well. I'm a fast learner, et cetera, et cetera. So you face it, and you answer any objections you think happen there. The final paragraph would be uh, the goodbye and thank you. Thank you once again, Hemda, for the opportunity of interviewing. Uh, this is the kind of job I know I can really do well, and I hope I'm the chosen candidate. Be that direct in the follow-up letter. It's really a sales letter. I'd love to put your one-minute strategy to the test here. We didn't really touch on the issue of age, but you had mentioned your client, Don, who was 60 years old at the time. And I'd love if you could just briefly tell the story of his search experience and what the results were. His name is Don Fox. He has since passed away. We have a minute? 30 seconds. We have 30 seconds. Don came to me and said, you know, I'm never going to find a job. I'm 60 years old. So I had him go home and do homework. I said, Don, list everything that, you, that a senior like you can do that a junior employee cannot do. And he made a list. And that list gave him so much confidence that he went in and not only got that job, but some years later, he got a second job while he was in his 70s. And he said to me, Randy, if you're a senior citizen, know what you offer and be proud of it because people look up to your age and experience. Phenomenal. Thank you, Randy, for sharing tactics for some of the most universal challenges that we face when it comes to job finding and managing our careers. Today's episode focused on a, sap on a snapshot of what you'll find in Randy's comprehensive book, your one-minute job finding coach, which is available through Amazon. Also, check out Randy's website, yourcareerservice.com, which offers lots of great career advice at no cost to you other than time. Again, the website is yourcareerservice.com. And if some questions percolated as a result of our conversations today, you can feel free to share those with Randy through yourcareerservice.com. Please stay connected with the show by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Turn the Page Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi with Turn the Page. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then.